What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Noise Podcast, part of the Noise Podcast Network and sponsored by Satanic Takeout. I'm your host, that's your boy, uh, Chris Pugh, and I am joined once again, but not in a visual form again, uh, Samuel Lewis. Mate, I'm so, at this point, I'm sorry, so this is happening considerably often. Are you living with Gene Simmons? And that's why, and that's why you're not Because you know... You know, of all, of all the things you could do that would make me fall out with you, it would be you living with Gene Simmons that would do it. Yeah, there's just, if you ever, if you hear a muffled cry that just says Rocky's dead from the, the background <laughs> while I'm talking, then you'll know that, you know, that I've given the game away. I've been trying to fix my laptop for the last couple of weeks and I'm having some hardware issues. I actually managed to, I wish I should get my camera working, like my actual camera on the laptop for like two minutes today. And then it just decided to pack in and take the audio with it. So that's fantastic. So I actually need to take it to um a laptop repair person and just be like help me um because it's getting ridiculous but other than that i'm happy to be joining you in auditory form and uh be able to discuss the albums that we've got going on today i'm not sure what i'd like less you wearing def leopard merch or sharing a house with gene simmons and that's why you're not on uh, on video yeah if it wasn't for the fact that like, we're best friends and we see each other all the time i, I would be concerned <laughs> one of those two things are happening at least if I wear Def Leppard merch, I can tag that off. I would imagine Gene Simmons' name would be on the mortgage if me and him were sharing a property. Um, and walls and carpet and, <laughs> every, and and every piece of furniture in the house. And also, I wouldn't be able to buy anything other than Kiss-sponsored merchandise. So it'd be like, it, 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 like coming in, be like, who moved the Kiss flakes? And I'd be like, I don't know, mate. Did you put them behind the <laughs> Kiss bathroom cupboard? No, no, they're not by the toilet sponsored by Ace Freely's neck tattoo like it's just ridiculous oh we need spoons sorry the kiss store's got them (laughs) absolutely absolutely fucking hell uh we're a fortnightly uh rock and metal podcast focus on album reviews news and interviews for our full show that includes our news discussions you can find on apple podcast spotify anywhere else you get your podcast if you just want to know about a specific album that we're talking about we post individual album reviews to our youtube channel and the best way to support us is by far liking slash subscribing depending on the service that you use and you can also find us on twitter at noise podcast quick word about our sponsors uh satanic tico I mean, which one do you want? They're a band, they're a tea company, uh, they're everything that you could possibly want uh, for your uh, kind of alternative Grebo uh, drinking products. Uh, we're going to leave a description. Uh, so we'll leave a link to their website in the description uh, and you can just browse through the different types of tea they sell and the really, really awesome, cool merch that Satanic Tea uh, Co. do. Give them a listen, try their tea, buy their merch. Uh, they're quite a special brand. Uh, on today's episode... We're going to be talking about a new Seven Dust album, Truth Killer, and the new Signs of the Swarm album, Amongst the Low and Empty. Before we do that, we're going to jump into a bit of news. Um, Sam, <laughs> right, okay, we're definitely going to criticise him quite heavily, but I think it's probably worth mentioning that like, he's never going to publicly criticise his own band, is he? So I'm just going to read this headline, and then I'll, I will contextualise it. I'm not just going to headline bait us. Yeah, Jacoby Shaddix names Papa Roach and two other bands as the quote next Metallicas. Um, <laughs> just let you sit with that for a second. Uh, and <laughs> okay. so, so uh, he was in conversation on a radio station, Iowa. Uh, and I'm just going to contextualize it. I mean, again, Sam, he's not going to openly criticize his own band. Was it his own radio stuff. station in his mother's basement? <laughs> no. No, but look, if someone mentions the whole, hey, Metallica are going to step down soon, what are we going to do about it? Obviously, what they're asking Papa Roach to be to go and really... save us? <laughs> so, I'm, 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 re- I'm reading this from uh, Um, So what? Conversation with uh, uh, 103.3. Host Andy Hall expressed his concerns to the Pop Roach frontman of there perhaps not being many newer bands who will be able to replace the really thinning veteran, Metallica, of course, uh, bands upon their retirement. In response, Shaddix offered up three bands who he sees being able to reach Metallica's level of success. Quote We're watching Metallica step into that Rolling Stone spot right now. And Foo Fighters are another one of those groups. And Corn, Papa Roach, and Deftones, we're like the next Metallicas. Uh, he did continue on, I believe. Uh, and um, he said, we're stepping into that spot now. It comes to, I guess, being able to survive the treachery of this rock and roll life. And if you can do that and still continue to create good art and good music, then we can get into that space. So, again, right. 
we can't criticize him too heavily, are we? Because what what, what is yes, he supposed to respond to that? Well, what's he supposed to respond to that question with? I'll, that, I'll, that's tell, I'll tell you, Chris. That's a like. lame question. That's a lame question for the for the radio house to ask. Come on. No, it's not. It's a perfectly fair question that he doesn't expect Jacoby to immediately start talking about his own band's role in fitting that. Um, if you if you're going to talk about us, oh, if you ask me, um, who's going to fit in to Metallica's shoes? I would say, well, you know, uh, bands like Parkway Drive and Avenged Sevenfold are headlining stadiums, which uh, after a decade of their career is comparable to where Metallica were at a pre-Black album, and maybe they can take that next step. There's no part of that bloke's question that says, how can Papa Roach fit in to the lack of Metallica moving forward? He didn't even specify Papa Roach, but Jacoby has immediately gone, how do I fix this problem? How do I fix this problem? How does Papa Roach cure the ills that is going to be left behind by Metallica? Um, and it's like the arrogance of the statement, because you do podcasts, and we're, 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 the, we're the same thing here, but obviously you're close enough to tell me when I'm being stupid, is that nobody stops him and says that um, no one considers you um, on the same level as, like, what was the other band? Corn and... Corn and Deftones. Corn and Deftones. Nobody considers that. And then, then he said, all you have to do is survive this rock and roll lifestyle and continue to make good music and good art. Um, and, and based on everything I know about Papa Roach, none of those things are true. They've, they've not really survived a rock and roll lifestyle or made good art or good music at any point. But, <laughs> uh, come on, that's harsh, come on. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No one's no one's listening to the fourth or fifth Papa Roach album being like, you know what? I think the next one's going to really put them over the top. No one's doing that. They, they, they've, they've peaked and that's okay. But his general premise is actually correct. He's just misidentified it as himself. His general premise is the idea that the big, the big second tier bands are going to have to step up and replace Metallica when Metallica eventually move away. And that's understanding that he's just... He's just unclear on where he fits in that hierarchy. Maybe if someone's asking him in like two thousand and two, and he's an up, they're an up and coming band, and they're really popular. Sure, but we're not in that world. And I understand that he's not supposed to criticize his own band, but he doesn't have to, have to mention his own band at all. He doesn't have to mention his own band at all. He could just talk about the the industry like in a less facetious way. I thought inclusion of corner and death. Towns was was also to like at the very least forty thousand people a night. Like if it's a small stadium, I don't think a, a, a lineup of Corn, Death Towns, and Papa Roach would go would get into one stadium. Let alone like a, a worldwide tour of stadiums slash headlining festivals. I think Papa Roach support a co-headline of Corn and Death Towns at a thirteen thousand, maybe fifteen, sixteen thousand capacity arena. I don't think that gets into a stadium at all. It's it, it is kind of bewildering, and I think that I just I think the question from the radio host when he's speaking to someone like Jacoby Shalik, like regardless of what you think of like Papa Roach, like they were one of the biggest bands of the early two thousands, like Infest. I think two thousand one's Infest. I think is a great album, and he's like seminal for like new metal and that the early two thousands time period, Um like if you think about alternative music in two thousand, in the early two thousands, pop culture permeating the scene, like at the forefront of it. Um, someone when he asked Jacoby Shelley that question, for someone who's been in the scene for twenty years, how is he? Like surely he's expecting Jacoby to put himself over because he he's been at, he's been in a band that was at the forefront of, of alternative music for a, 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 at the period when it's it's probably apart from mid eighties like most popular. Um, so it's I'm just not a big fan of the question, but I think. Weirder than including Papa Roach was saying that like them corner death times will be like the new Metallica. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the case. Like I, I don't think corner are taking those shoes at all. Uh, death tones barely even like death tones when they're tour are barely even death tones now, especially with Steph no longer touring. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was a re- I thought it was a strange response to that question. I don't want us to be too harsh on Jacoby Shaddix. He's he's all right in the Jacoby. Yeah, and I like Papa Roach. I just think if you like, the, the, I agree with your premise about the corn thing and the Deftones thing generally, but also as well, if your first album came thirty years ago, you can't be the new anything. Yeah, yeah. Like you're a vet, you're a veteran band, you're a veteran band. Metallica were thirty years into their into their career ten years ago, so you imply uh, that you're to, as big as Metallica move. were in twenty thirteen. It's ridiculous. 
I want to quickly move on, Sam, because we've got two album reviews to get through as well. Yeah. Only one other piece of news that I saw that was uh, of particular interest. Uh, and for this, really, I can't imagine as much we're going to say about it, but I really just wanted to know your opinion like, more than anything else. Um, again, I'll read the headline here. Uh, Avenged Sevenfold frontman M. Shadows, quote, technology overuse is killing metal and killing rock. Um, okay. Again, uh, this comes from a, a radio slash podcast, uh, M. Shadows, was uh, on the Bad Wolves guitarist podcast, The X-Man. Uh, and he said, uh, quote, there's a lot of vocoder and things going on on this record, he explains, but we're not using Pro Tools vocoder. We brought out the keyboards, we're singing into stuff and we're talking <laughs> through the talk box. But I think uh, but I think as you do that stuff and you do all these new forward thinking things in an organic way, I think it has a knack to it that's very cool. One thing that I think, and I've said this on Twitter, and you get, quote, old man yelling at the, you get called, quote, old man yelling, get the players i think technology overuse is killing metal and killing rock everyone's using the same samples they're using the same tools to fill up the speakers they're brick wall in the mixes the vocals pop and it's way on and, um, and it's way i think that's supposed to be over the top the normal person that listens to that they're like this just sounds like one straight line of something but it's not appealing to me because there's no dynamic there's no this or that it all sounds the same I think that's why bands like Tool System uh, they really stand out because there's so much dynam there's so much dynamism there's so much realness happening there's I mean there's loads we could talk about there and I'm I'm not gonna overkill M Shadows uh, on being on the podcast saying hey rock was better before wasn't it but what one thing I wanted to ask you Sam is have you ever considered like the idea of the way production is put together now being something that's stopping rock and metal returning to the forefront of um zeitgeist no no i don't i don't i think uh, i think production habits being like simultaneously normalized across an industry is just how music works um like since the beatles invented a four-track recording for sergeant peppers pretty much it, the music industry has been a copycat industry you look at the way pop music they 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 you know, they they nick things off each other. Rock music nicks things off each other from blueprints of songs right down to production habits. I think that's perfectly acceptable. I resent the implication that Avenged Sevenfold are saying, well, when we use Valcoda, it's organic and cool, but when they use it, it's it's bad. Um, <clears throat> I actually wish that Avenged Sevenfold had, had written an album that sounds a bit more like other bands um, than the one that they decided <laughs> to bring out. I'd actually suggest that they sound a little bit more like Avenged Sevenfold. That would also be really good. Um, if they get a chance, but other than that, I think the the idea of the music industry needing to be different and stuff. Well, what what look at look at every aspect of any industry. What works and then just gets immediately repeated, right down from marketing campaigns to fast food to clothes to culture. Is that one thing becomes popular and then the rest of it follows suit? And we have learned that if you recreate something and target an audience really specifically and hit that button over and over again they will consume that until they're bored until somebody invents the next thing and then we copy that until they're bored and then that's that's how it works you look on social media and, and the way that social media is enveloped and the way that that's become copycat and there's meme formats and then you look at the way that fashion has become a, a copycat industry where it's circular and then you look at music there's no exception I, I I agree because obviously you can listen to metal and you can especially listen to extreme metal where it all appears that they, they, they appear to be using the same drum technology. They appear to be using the same recorded devices. They all appear to be using very similar tunings. They all appear to be trying to copy what Lorna Shaw are doing right now in extreme metal. And it, it just happens again. There's one band that changes the needle a little bit and then everyone else tries to copy and then we move on to the next one. And in the midst of it, bands give interviews to podcasters where they try and explain how they're different despite the fact that they're pretty much doing very similar things that everybody else is doing. They're just hoping to differentiate themselves to themselves. One thing I wanted to mention was that if you look at two bands that look like they're about to take that next step up to be huge and really pushing, like, bringing me the her like, pushing horizon levels in terms of, like, being, like, the new band at the forefront of the scene, Bad Omens and Sleep Token. Mm -hmm. a, a huge amount of their appeal is the purity of their <clears throat> production. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to hear a grainy sleep token record. That's that's no, not going to work. I don't want to hear a grainy Bad Albums album either. That's not, that's definitely not going to work. Part of part of their appeal is is how crystal clear the sound is. Part of their appeal is how the vocals just dominate over the rest of 
over the rest of the sound. So I, I think that in essence, what you know, wanting wanting things to sound like they did they did in nineteen ninety six and to be pure and to be technical and to be um, kind of rustic is great. But in terms of like modern modern alternative music. Two bands that, are, that I think are about to really challenge to be the front runners of the zeitgeist, Sleep Token and Bad Almonds. Purity of production is what's is what's pushing them to the forefront. So I think in essence, his idea is great. But I think in terms of reality, I I, I don't think that works. I would I would I would agree with that. It's again, it's it's repackaging you repackaging your music and then trying to trying to label it as something completely different it, it's it's like when you read the back of a label and it on a, on a food and a food and it's like you know it's organic and it's farm fresh and it's produce and it's and all that sort of stuff and it's like it's a packet of crisps man like it, it's 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 your in, your intent is to create the best sounding product possible and that includes um having the best technology available do you know what i mean like that that's the best way to get the media across and and aching for a more authentic dy- I can do what he understands when he talks about like dynamics and things like that. When you listen to certain bands that are incredibly unique, like Tool, like System of a Down, their music does sound different. But I don't think System of a Down are recording in deliberately outdated or archaic technology to acquire that. I think it's just that their writing is better. And yeah. I think that and I think that bands I think the bands um, often try and accentuate what is t- tends to be generic sounding music with fancy synths and sounds and um, f- polished production, and that has been the case for for decades. That's what pop music has been really since the mid eighties, and that's just the way that the way of the world. Um, and honestly, yeah, I, I do I do find myself resenting M Shadow specifically because they are a very studio heavy band now. They are a very studio friendly band they they use sounds that could not be replicated if it was just four guys in a room so the idea that they're taking some moral high ground for me appears to be um misplaced let's move on to album reviews we're going to start with Seven Dust, a truth killer. It is released 28th of July uh, via Napalm Records. It's the Atlanta Georgian New Metal's 14th album and the follow-up to 2020's Blood and Stone. I want to pretense this review uh, by uh, stating that I've only actually ever listened to one uh, Seven Dust album, uh, and that is Home, which was released in 1999. I kind of went through one of those. Here's the best new metal albums you might not have heard that are not the obvious ones. And it's a it's a great album. Seven Dust are quite a, quite a, you know they're a popular band. They got I think they've got three um, three albums that were certified gold. Um, I think there's three or four of their albums that were in the top 15 uh, Billboard 200. Uh, so we all talk about a sizable, like a really sizable band, actually, that a lot of people like really never seem to mention a lot or don't really seem to get uh, a massive amount of traction. But we're, we're part of that for we're part of that like burst of new metal that I was talking about uh, when we were discussing the news previously. Um, Sam, I. I've not listened to seven to another seven to seven apart from home, so I, I really don't know what happened between nineteen ninety nine and twenty twenty three. Um, but based on this album, it's something bad uh, because <laughs> this is a oh Sam, this 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 isn't a good album at all, is it? No, it's like um, it's like an imitation of rock music, isn't it? It's um. I've talked about I've talked about this before, so I'll I'll save I'll save I'll save the rant. We'll put it on the personal highlights reel or something like that. But this is like I'm sure I talked about this five finger death punch and reviewed that a couple of couple of years ago. It kind of sounds like all the songs are like, um, oh, we've got a snowboarding advert and we need to, we need a rocky soundtrack for it, or we've we've got um, NHL 24s coming out and we need like a generic sounding rock uh, band to play the background of like this montage. And it's like what a PR executive think rock music sounds like. Do you know what I mean? Because it's got some thumping riffs and things, and it has some choruses where some things are said, presumably profound. And uh, there are <laughs> some some moments where we transition from verses and choruses, and he he, he screams some stuff, and there's some drums that are turned up. Uh, but in the end, it's really shallow. 
It's really thin on the ground and there's very little depth to it. And by track six, I was like, oh, you're doing this again. Again, <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> you you wrote five versions of this and decided, you know what? Let's go for number six, man. <laughs> Let, let's roll the dice again. This has been working. Oh, mate. Oh, mate. The way this album opens, uh, I, might, I'm, I might let the devil win. So, again... Oh, this is a one seven just album. Home, nineteen ninety nine, classic new metal album. Great, denial's a banger, but it's got this kind of pomp and attitude and pace and kind of venom to it. And I, I started. I might let the devil win, and I was like, "There's no way this is seven dust." And, and do you know what's amazing as well? It's the same. They haven't had. They've barely had like any departures from the original lineup. Like it's the same lineup. They, they did that 1999 album. And it, what's ironic is I'm usually the guy that kind of points fingers and laughs at the people who were like, God, it was better in 99, wasn't it? But in this case, God, it really was. I might let the devil win. It does the very thing that I worried this album was going to do. Like the band are trying to sound modern and don't play to the strengths at all. It's got this kind of meandering horror instrumental that's just like an Ice Nine Kills ripoff. And I don't even yeah. like Ice Nine Kills. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean like yeah. honestly this album if if you're British you'll you'll understand the reference like, if you're British and you're in your late 20s or early 30s you'll understand the reference I'm going to make here this song is the equivalent of your uncle wearing G-star jeans in your local pub like fair play <laughs> for you to, to nice. making the effort mate but you're 15 years too late here like G-star jeans were like popular in 2008 like I understand that you're trying to look younger you're trying to fit in and you you like you don't want to you don't want to look 40 but mate you know you you're 20 you're 15 years too late so it it is better to just turn up in straight leg jeans than turn up in G-star jeans mate because we we've moved way past that now and actually the straight leg jeans have gone more respect than that 96 that's on your backside um, if you're British, you'll understand the reference I'm making there. And what's what what's kind of painful, Sam, is that it it doesn't get better from there. But like there no, it really doesn't. is it really is there really isn't much else that happens. There's some of the lyrics on this album. Oh man, there's there. I think was it, I think it was on everything. Yes, yeah, so I'm sc- I'm scrolling from an hour. Yeah, it, it was on every, uh, this song everything. It sounds like something Kid Rock would have written, like if you just tuned his guitar down a little. These lyrics. So what do you want to see? I'm going to make you believe I can be anything. I won't change an effing thing. Don't walk away from me. Who's writing this? Who's that for? Uh, Do you think they ran ran out of things to do and they were like, do you want to add some synth? And they just put (laughs) some synth in and I was like, what's this for? It's got to be that. Like it's... honestly, I um I've got a neighbour who I walk I walk back I walk I walked home the other day and I came back and he was listening to Trapped and he would love this record. <laughs> oh god. And it's it's that kind of like it's like dad rock a bit, isn't it? It's kind of like um like you can imagine someone in like Oakley sunglasses um driving dri- driving down listening to this sort of stuff. It's 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 all very boring, it's all very generic. Um like I thought I th- when I got to like, by the time we got to like superficial drug oh. near the end, I was like flagging. Like, like you know, like they just have babies, like their head rolls around. And, yeah. And, and like you can see that they're just like, they can't even, they can't even keep their heads up. It was like that. I was like, this has been the longest 40 minutes um, of my life. And and I will. I oh, will this album is so long. This album is yeah, so long. There's, there's, there's like 14 songs on this album and it could have, they could have done the job <sighs> six um it's like every song has got one slight inflection that makes it different and then they just revert back to type so with um sick mouth it opens with a high-pitched riff instead of a low riff leave hell behind it opens with a piano um love and hate they open with some like oh let's do 16ths on the hi-hats this time but everything else is just exactly the same all the time and the decisions they make on some of the verses here where they open with a okay listenable riff, and then they just take that away and vote to go for like slow down, weirdly electronic, um, rubbish verses. Let's just be frank with him with this the vocalist singing over the top before getting back to the original chorus. It's like so. What am I supposed to treat this verse as? Just like the advertisements in between what you really want to say. Like it, it, it is, it is really. 
really depressing. It sounds like you talked about it. It was in, oh, they were really big in 1999. It sounds like they're trying to write every wrestler's theme combined with, with some of these choruses. It's just like generic, like mid card kind of third gear. Um, This is what rock should sound like. We think question mark type stuff. I, it's, yeah, man, like 14 albums of this. Christ. Well, this is the thing. I, I really want a Seven Dust fan who's listening to this album review to type in the comments and, and tell me where what other Seven Dust album I should listen to because to go, because I've only heard Home, to go from Home in 1999 to this, they, they, and they've done what, like under, under 11 albums in between, there must have been like some kind of, movement of the needle where you can see this happening like it, I, I find it incredibly hard to believe that they've done like 10 new metal albums and then in the late 20 in the late 2010s or early 2020s we're like right okay it's been like a really boring kid rock style rock band now there, there's a there's a song on this called won't stop the bleeding mm-hmm. and it's like it sounds like something that they'd give like an X Factor contestant who likes rock music to sing on on like the semi final, yeah, definitely. and be like, oh, it's got a big chorus, so you know your voice is big, isn't it? And we, you know, we'll get some confetti shot out as as the big chorus hits if you want, because that's that's good for rock music, isn't it? Like the uh, one thing I will say is that some of the tracks are kind of redeemed by some like really nice guitar work, guitar guitar work, sorry, by Clint Lowry. Uh, who does some really, like some pretty cool solos and some pretty decent riffs, but on a whole, this on a whole, who is this album for? But this is just this is like bland mush. This album is it's just tasteless half house rock that Malta still sends out to place in two thousand and eight. Like I criticise Nickelback, I don't really think much of them, but at least they're fun to listen to. Like this, is, this is kind of bland. It's middle of the road. It's not fun to listen to. It's like really boring. Like. It you know I, I think about like mine and your practices teachers and I and I'm thinking God I'm really uninterested in this and I can't wait for this to end I really hope the kids don't feel like this while I teach <laughs> because if 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 they do I feel really sorry because this is this is a difficult experience this is so so vanilla it's so boring I, I, like I stopped after um. What was the song I was talking about? Uh, Leave Hell Behind. I'm, I stopped writing notes. I'm going to stop writing notes. This album, like the, the entire record, sounds like what they would give the alternative guy for the final of the voice or an X Factor series. It's got no charisma. It's got no bite. It's got no personality. It's got no particularly interesting quality that demands anything from me to buy into. Um, I respect Seven Dust. Again, I'm going to, you know, anecdotally mention Home was an important album in new metal. What has happened here? This is this is this isn't good. This I I would I would love to have a conversation. Not because like I would take the mick out of him. Like I genuinely love. I would love to have a conversation with someone who thinks this album's really good. Just because I'd be like, right, what is it? What what would you like about this? You've got to tell me. Now I, I kind of looked up for, like Seven Dust reviews of other albums, and apparently Blood and Stone in 2020 was like their best album in years, and Blood and Stone was the um was the predecessor to this album. Out of curiosity, I'm going to listen to Blood and Stone tomorrow and see see whether this is like a misstep from something they achieved on the album or whether, for some reason, magazines and websites just decided to be nice in 2020 because COVID was happening and they didn't want to be nasty about anyone. Because if Blood and Stone sounds like this and um, and Karang and Metal Hammer and Louder Sound and stuff are talking about it being like a return to form for Seven Dust, then I they've lost credibility with me because I just find this is astonishing to believe that someone could listen to this album and think, oh, yeah, they're back on form in the Seven Dust. Yeah, I would I would be prepared to, to, to bet that you're going to get to the end of that experience tomorrow and be like, well, actually, that's all bad. It's all bad, and a, and a return to and a return to set a return to form for Severance is kind of like, um, when the guy at the retirement home just like jerks awake and he's able to like contribute to a conversation to for five to seven minutes. It's like he was really engaged today. Did you see him? <laughs> and it's it's like it's like that kind of, it's like that kind of stuff. And to your point about teaching, if you were teaching and the first three things that you said just didn't land, you might rephrase them and try something else. <laughs> they appear to they appear to have got the by the fourth song and be like, "Look, guys, look, guys, no one's dead yet. Let's, we're doing this." 
It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> Let's kick this 14th chorus into overdrive. No, 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 no. Let's extend the pre-chorus. I love it when we extend the pre-chorus. Um, it's terrible. It's terrible. And I'm willing to bet that they've always been terrible. Um, and <laughs> No, no, no. Home's good. I swear to you, home's no, good. I, that's home's fine. Good. I'm willing to bet that the rising tide of new metal lifted a decent album or puts, and I'm sure it's very good. And then they've been, they've had a decent contract with a record label ever since. And they're... They'll they'll have the thousand to two thousand hardcore fans in varying cities around around Europe and America, I assume. Um, but if if this if that if they come back if they come back round on the album circle, I'll just I'll just write the number four next to it and I'll just move on with my day. Yeah. Um just in closing, if you're a seven dust fan, drop a comment and let me know the art the next seven dust album I should listen to. But if it sounds like this, don't bother commenting. I I you are just you are better off talking talking to a different <laughs> podcast because that I I only the forty five minutes like this is the longest for one of the longest forty minutes of my year. This was it was a, a drain of my days listening uh, to this album. Yes, I, I I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So we're going to close off the show this week by discussing the new signs of the Swarm record amongst the low and empty. It's out on July 28th via Century Media Record. It's a Pennsylvanian's fifth album and the follow-up 2021's Absolvere. Sam, the second we got this record, um, was it was an album that I knew I'd want to discuss with you, but my immediate thought was, I hope it doesn't suffer the Lorna Shore effect. And by that, I mean, I think because of <clears throat> the trajectory of Lorna Shaw and what happened for them after the re- after the release of that single to the Hellfire, which we loved, and I love Lorna Shaw, adore Lorna Shaw, can't wait to see me in November, great band. What I think, and then, you see, the thing with the problem with things like that is then it all becomes a chase of, right, who can sound the heaviest? Who can do who can do the heaviest breakdown? I'd imagine it was a similar thing to like with Thrashing 1986 as Dave Lombardo records his kick drums on Angel of Death. It's like, right, who can do it faster than that? And then there, there is only so far you can take that until it's like, right, that there, there really is no no heavier to go. Um, and especially with this album being produced by Josh Schroeder, who's worked with Lorna Shaw. My my immediate fear was that. This album would just would be good regardless because Sons are a very talented band, and Bobby Crow, who's the drummer and lead songwriter, is a fantastically talented musician. I knew at the very least it'd be good, but I didn't want to just be constantly chasing the Lorna Shaw sound or to try and sound heavier than Lorna Shaw at all costs, especially costs to songwriting. But for me, Sam. I feel like this is a great deathcore record in and of itself, regardless of the Lorna Shore factor. How do you feel about that? I think I think both the things you said are true. I think it's a very, very good deathcore album, but I also think it falls victim of the tropes of deathcore at the same time. I think that's okay as well. Um I think I think it's worth putting a PSA on this record that you have to be of a certain temperament and a certain taste to really delve in. I think to call this extreme metal in the same way that you would call Bathory extreme metal is like, this is like a different genre entirely almost. Um, Mm. And I think it's, it's on the, on the, on that kind of extreme metal that only, only deathcore can really sort of create. I think it's, I think it's a really good deathcore record, but I do think that it, it does, um, exchange songwriting depth for um, the necessity to finish a song a certain way. I feel like it falls into that trap quite often. Uh, and I don't mean this as a criticism because deathcore, like um, like a lot of subgenres within metal, there is a working blueprint that is incredibly effective and there's a certain level of expectation from the fan base as well. Um, like... Every time a new metal album comes out, especially in these genres, the first questions that fans will ask is, is it heavy? Is it dark? What are the breakdowns like? How tough is it? Um, the, they don't sacrifice anything on the vocals, do they? Because I like X, Y, and Z. And any kind of 
extension away from that is kind of treated with derision within within certain metal circles. But uh, so this is not going to do that. It's not going to turn any noses up within extreme deathcore circles. It fits very nicely within that genre. Though I just wish that that push a little bit more variety in the songwriting. But then again, I'll ask you a question. Am I being fair to a deathcore band for saying that it's a criticism that you created a good deathcore album and that follows all the deathcore tropes and saying, well, I wish it did other stuff. Or should I just accept it for what it is and talk about how good it is within the genre? Am I being unfair by criticising it for that? No, I don't think you are at all. I, I think that how does any band expand themselves outside of a, a tin can? They do that by creating themselves new avenues, right? Like Lorna Shaw and, and like Brand of Sacrifice, they have they they have changed how deathcore bands use synths. Like Lorna Shaw mm. are, are, are expanding a, a, a rate that is really absurd to watch. To be fair, considering what the, yeah. what they perform, and that's because of this symphonic element that they've added to the band. Lorna Please. Shaw, Lorna Shaw weren't doing this five years ago. And no, I know Lorna Shaw, they got really hit badly by COVID and by allegations to former lead singer and, and, and stuff like that. But regardless of all of that, prior to all of those issues, Lorna Shaw, I, I always thought Lorna Shaw were great and had loads of respect for them, thought they were an excellent band, but they certainly weren't doing what they're doing now. They're doing what no. they're doing now because of because of the songwriting push they've given themselves to like, I, craft I, I, and try new things. So I don't think that's a harsh thing to say at all. I think okay, it's, I think it's uh, relatively fair. Yeah, well, thank you then, because that gives me a little bit more um, more of a foundation to go further then, because I think that I agree. The reason that Lorna Shaw took a step forward is actually is because they stepped into symphonic and they stepped into melody. And that that is the final trope. When a metal band can retain a darkness while also exploring elements of light within their music and their songwriting, they can integrate strong choruses and melodies within the package of their genre. I think that's when bands become incredibly successful. And I think actually one of the reasons why um, Dream Killer is placed in all caps is because the band know that that's their strongest song. And lo and behold, it's the one with the best melody. What a shock. Um, Because I I really like this, but um, the title track, Terror of Torsos and Borrowed Time all end in exactly the same way. The conclusion of the song is the same and it is breakdown that slows down and then pauses for growl and then returns to breakdown. And then it breakdowns a little bit further and it just slows down and it's this whole big destructive um, slow crawl to the conclusion. And it's very impactful and it's very reminiscent of that, that, that brilliant Lorna Shaw repeat. And I can't escape the feeling rightly or wrongly. And I'm happy to accept that this is might just be a judgment on my part. The, the bands like this are interested in chasing a moment of like, look what this band does on this song, like, like a 90 yeah. second Instagram snapshot or Facebook live or Twitter video. Like, like, you know how like sports shows, like, you know, um, like Sky Sports do this. I'll use a British example. Like Sky Sports love getting the 90 second breakout video of Roy Keane being really critical or Jamie Carragher yeah. and Gary Neville arguing. It doesn't really matter what they're arguing about as long as they're shouting at each other so it gets clicks and stuff because the debate isn't what matters. It's creating that like hot take kind of divisive kind of thing on, on social media. And I get the impression that sometimes metal bands are chasing that kind of, oh my God, let's, Let's write a riff at the end that makes somebody create a YouTube video where they react to this live. And the the the, the thing is with Lorna Shaw as well is that Lorna Shaw's growth has also come with a secondary market of social media attention, where there's this like reaction to Lorna Shaw's music that's also becoming like an arm of Lorna Shaw's aura, where there'll be a vocal coach that watches Will Ramos sing, or there'll be someone that's never listened to metal that's made to watch a Lorna Shaw album or you know, someone who like runs a gospel in a church and it's like, listen to this yeah. and they're, they're really shocked and stuff. And it feels like, are you writing songs for breakout videos or are you writing the best things that serve the songs? Now for deathcore, it's difficult to judge that. I think because sometimes it's both because sometimes the best thing that serves a deathcore song is a breakdown. It's the most violent expression of most of the time. That is the case. 
Yes, and it's, time, yeah, it, it's the it most violent expression of, of a song, and he's also usually what fans are waiting for. Um, yeah. death deathcore is the only genre really. Well, well, metal is one of the only genres really where the most famous bits are often without lyrics. You know, that tends yeah. not to be the case in any other genre, um, where we're so focused on the instrumentation there. <clears throat> so with that, it's hard for me to say you're only doing this for the Instagram likes and all the rest of it, because they're probably not, because they're also writing deathcore and it's also simultaneously what serves the song better. But I do think there are some occasions where they revert to tropes in an attempt to further their reputation of extremity more than they serve the song because the 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 the, the songs that do the best on this are the ones in but then again this is just my opinion are the ones that inject a little bit of lightness and melody in amongst the death metal which is why dream killer's fantastic and lo and behold the tune that matt heafy contributes to um, with the witch beckons is really great because it's got like a black metal feel to it as well that gives it a little bit of difference as well as the second half of a Shelion, which or echelon whichever um whichever however you want to say that i pronounce it because after like a the opening of that tune which is let's be honest the opening of um, echelon is like borderline unintelligible like it's hard to figure out what they're actually doing uh, but the second half of that when they change the groove and it becomes easier to follow lo and behold that's really successful because you shouldn't need a you shouldn't need a, a degree in Pro Tools to be able to figure out what a band's doing. And I think the most successful successful moments on this are where they actually abandon the necessity to chase their genre and instead focus on what serves the song best. But at the same time, what serves the genre best is also really impressive because there are some moments on here that are shocking. And it is like one of those albums that like back in the day you would have sat me down and said, Man, you've got to listen to this just for like the shock value. But then yeah. How often do you listen to that record again for fun? Like you like how often do you like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a run today and listen to to this album? Like, is it is it that is it that kind of record? For some people it might be. I just do you know what I mean? Like so I think it's successful. I think it's very good. I think it fits in the genre. I just I just wonder um I just wonder about the viability of it. I wonder about the necessity of it. And I actually do think the best ones on this album are where they separate away from that a touch. Just to add to what you, what you mentioned there. And after this, I'll be will actually start talking specifically about the album. I understand exactly where you're coming from, because if I just use like professional wrestling reference, because obviously that's like my like go-to sport along with Second football. Language, yeah. But the first time I saw like a reverse pile driver, from the second row, I was like, "Oh my god, that's amazing! I can't believe that, I, that they've just done that. What an amazing spot! I hope they're okay. They took a huge risk, oh, but that that was incredible." And but then the next time I see it, I'm like, "Oh right, okay. What's next now? Like now you need now you need to do it like from the top rope now, where you can't do it from the top rope because you're literally risking breaking someone's neck. Well, in that case, then I'm not going to be like as surprised or as like I'm like when mm-hmm. I'm going to see uh, AEW." Uh, Wembley Stadium uh, in August, and a lot of a lot of AEW's wrestlers are like famed for doing like ridiculous, crazy stunts, which really now don't really mean much to me because these stunts are just derivatives of one I've seen before. And unless they set someone on fire inside the ring, I'm not I'm not going to see anything that's going to make me think, "Oh my god, that's incredible!" What I love about pro wrestling is like the story of the match. Uh, and the story of the characters going in that yeah. make it matter to me, um, not the ridiculous, like ri- like absurd neck breakers off the top rope. Because now, once you do it, I-, I might jump out my seat for a second, but then the next time I'll be like, oh yeah, that's the neck breaker thing that I've, I've seen them do. And that's kind of what I mentioned about the Lorna Shore effect, where Lorna Shore released to the Hellfire. It becomes like a sensation on social media. It becomes a sensation on YouTube, like you mentioned. Videos of people who don't listen to metal or or people who have no interest in metal, old people, etc. Reactions to Lorna Shaw videos to the Hellfire's breakdown, etc. And and because of that popularity, how could you resist being a deathcore band and chasing that for yourself? Because why wouldn't you want to? Because, oh my God, look how popular this is. We'll do that thing. Um, but then obviously, you know, nothing... There, apart from one th- there's a, two things on this album that made me kind of rethink... Really whoa, this is absurd, in the same way that I felt when we reviewed that Lorna Shaw EP. Other than that, this is just like a great Deathcore album that I, but that I don't think is going to be like 
doing the rounds on social media with the exception of like uh, one moment that's um on face on their faces without names which we'll speak about in a moment yes i just wanted to make that kind of anecdote to agree with you and give like my perspective on the chasing the lawn and shore effect i would i would absolutely agree with that and i think it re- it's reminiscent of horror movies like yeah. um you look at the look at the boom of horror movies in the late 70s and early 80s that were like halloween and and that type of stuff um, by like the by like the mid eighties to the late eighties, horror movies were like ridiculous. They they were like like Evil Dead and stuff where people's faces were being blown up and like all these like really gruesome stuff. And look at the way that the first Saw was like, oh my god, it's horrifying. By Saw Four, people were like, oh yeah, he gets his genitals stuck in a in a in a jigsaw. Oh, that's cool. What else does he do? And it, it's yeah. it just we immediately became normal normalized. Um, and that you're right because. If you center your music and you center your product around a particular gimmick, eventually people are going to get bored of that gimmick and wonder what else you do. And that's where the value of the songwriting is. And just the way that you talk about the narrative of wrestling getting you in as a fan, the most compelling and award-winning and generally accepted great movies are obviously the ones with the greatest characterization and plot change. And you look at the, the scariest movies now, are not ones where people are getting like slashed through the head. They are more psychological thrillers. Like Get yeah. Out, for example, was really amazing. Impactful. Amazing um, film, but, but not like a stereotypically scary horror movie in the sense of it's like a slasher or anything like that. It was psychologically terrifying. Look at Black Mirror. The amount of success that Black Mirror has had by not actually having anything particularly gory in any of their episodes. Um, so to move back to this, um, I think if you're chasing it's a fickle thing to chase, isn't it? Social media attention and stuff. And eventually that will move on to something else. And if you put your faith in the depth of the music, then that's, that's going to, you're going to be better served to that. But I don't want to take away from what is for its time, for its genre, for its, um, for its audience, uh, a, a, a really, really good death core record, a really, really good death core record. I, I could, I know a lot of people that would really enjoy this. A lot of people that would listen to this regularly and I know a few bands, like you can imagine, like sort of tours going on. And when it says, oh, they were touring, they did a few tours with um, Humanity's Last Breath. I'm like, that makes sense. Like that, that's it. That works yeah. with me. Um, and they're going out with Decapitated, I think I read from the PR notes. I like that. That's cool. That's good for them. And, and metal bands look after each other. And that's that's really, really good. I think I think the best thing that I can say about this album before we get to the track by track analysis is that this is going to fit really nicely in with where the genre is going. This is another example of the the steps that the genre is making. Um, I just think, I'm sure like you do, the, the more songs they write that are like Dream Killer, the more longevity they're likely to have. Yeah, I, I, I want to be clear that what I was mentioning it wasn't a criticism of this album. I think this is a great death grab. And this is going to go straight into my great to 2023 play that's on Spotify uh, when it comes out. I'm a fan of this. I think it's really good. Again, I think Deathcore as a whole might have an issue if it, if it gets stuck under the Lorna Shore effect, but that's for a future time, and I want to talk about this album. We don't usually do the singles, Sam, but I just want to talk about the footwork on the title track because it's it's absurd. That that, that the final minute of Amongst the Lab and Empty it is insane. And for you as like the drummer, I just I'm just mate, the footwork on that final minute is is something. It's 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 incredible. Oh, it's 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 fantastic to the point that I'd actually want to see it live to verify that a real person did it. Um, because yeah, because like you 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 know as well as I do, there's lots of whispers, aren't there, about like sort of like drum tracks and clicks and 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 using the machines to sort of like speed things up and stuff. And it is so fast that it, it it's it's so fast. It's it makes me borderline superstitious. It's like like the like the moon landing of drum of, of double kicks where I'm like, is that is that a real flag? Like what's going on there? Um so there was a part of me that was like that that, that should be a compliment in itself, I think. It is the point that I, I genuinely hope that this is actually recorded by a human individual. Um because for a couple of seconds I was wondering how a possibly a human individual could do this um physically. Um, because well, to call well, Bobby it Bobby Crow, their drummer is really legit, man. I, I believe it's Bobby Crow. I, I, he's, he takes he takes his music very, very, very seriously. I think I think I can't. Obviously, I don't know, but I'd be surprised if 
it wasn't actually him. And Josh Schroeder, who has helped us work with Lorna Shaw and stuff, again, he's worked with Austin Archer, the drummer of Lorna Shaw, and Austin Archer is as legit as it gets. So I'd be very surprised if it's not Bobby Crow actually doing it. I'd be quite then, surprised. Then then, then I'm going to... I want it to be real, so I'm just going to go along that it is. So that's fair. Um, then in that case, it's extraordinary. And it's it, it reaffirms the evolution of the musicianship in metal now. Um to the point where like the, the the floor is so high now to be in a deathcore band you have to have like like it's beyond degree level musicianship here this is beyond like your grading systems this is type this type of stuff the level of the level of talent and stamina it takes to be able to produce that to be able to play that to a click track and then be able to replicate that live is astonishing it, it really is astonishing and it speaks to the level of athleticism that's going on let alone the technique and stuff because um the the level of strength and dexterity that you need in your lower your lower limbs to be able to do this for an extended period of time um and then also it's not like he's just doing that on its own he's playing beats over the top of it and stuff like it's it's not like the only thing that's Same. happening it's it, it is it, it is extraordinary what what as well i want to say as well is the the songwriting the way that it sh- the way that some of these songs on this album shift like Talk about the terror of torso, by the way, to the the like the blast beats with the the industrial electronic stuff. But the way that some of these songs are written, especially on terror of torso, the way it flits from tempo to tempo on a dime immediately. Like listening to this record, um, I couldn't do anything else. Like I had, yeah, to, no, I, had no. to, I had to I had to concentrate by like really to really follow it because you 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 take. You, because it happened to me a couple of times while listening to it, you lose your attention, like you get a text message or something flashes up. And it read a completely different part of the song by the time I'm listening to it again. And I'm like, what? how yeah. did that transition away from this? And the thing is, is you rewind it and sometimes they don't transition at all. And they just stop and do something else. The, the, it's like a schizophrenic style of writing, like like a Tasmanian devil-esque approach to riff riff writing that I, I, I haven't I haven't heard to this sort of, this sort of level for a very long time um because even when we, we talked earlier in the year about the periphery record which is really complicated and really like um labyrinthine and all this type of stuff but it, you can kind of track it you know like the transition from one to another this is this is songwriting like it's erratic you know what i mean like it's mm. it, it's i don't know i don't know how else to to to, to really describe it it's it's like the soundtrack to a sociopath or somebody that's got like mental illnesses or something like that because the way it flits from thing to thing, like it's 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 crazy. It, it really is crazy. It's 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 a challenging listen actually. Like from a from a following along standpoint, it's almost like you're waiting for something that you can cling to sometimes because it is just so so quick and so fast paced and so so varied. How did you sit with that? Well, I, I I thought this was an album that is a, a test of endurance, but mostly from the sense of it constantly pushes you to the edge of your extremity level. Uh, but, but I just I think the album is is great, man. I think it's a great deathcore album. This Pray for Death got that explosive chug to open. It Pray for Death it, like that could have opened the album and it could it'd be the perfect gig opener the way that explosive chug burst through the mix yeah. uh, there's isolated vocals the first come as the verse comes to life which I think it's a brilliant little touch from Josh Schroeder the producer it's got gent like speeds to the rhythm guitar and Bobby Crow's footwork again is just chaos personified there's a mid there's a break in the middle eight before the breakdown comes in this interspersing audible silence which is just fantastic and obviously just taking nods from code orange there, uh, which I obviously adore. Burrow Time's got, uh, at the very start of Burrow the Time, it's got this kind of after-the-burial-like riff that runs through the spine of it, which I really liked. Um, you've got these tiny little stabbing riffs from Carl Schultz behind uh, Bobby's double kicks. Again, sent straight out of the cold orange bag. Give me all of that. There's the heinous breakdown with the elongated screams from David uh, Simonick, who's the vocalist. That's a huge plus as well. It's, to be honest, mate, the only time where I felt like this album took a bit of a drop off in terms of quality was Shackles Like Talons, which I thought was kind of a much of a muchness, just blended into the rest of the album, kind of like a nothing to report deathcore track. But the rest of this album is constantly high tempo, high quality, highly technical, brutal. And it's just, uh, it's a fantastic listen uh, for a deathcore fan. 
I completely agree. I completely agree. Like you, the the from from looking at you right within the within the context and the confines of its genre, it, you get everything you want. If you if you're a big deathcore fan, and you listen to this, it just ticks all of the boxes on this. Like you talked about, pray for death. I agree. The the groove at the two minute mark is just. How do how would you even replicate that? How would you, how would you no. even do that? At the times it is absolutely ridiculous. Um, the the opening of between fire and stone jumped out to me to the way it jumped into this like shifting tempo and the choppy rhythm, um, and to the point where halfway through that song it actually goes to like a four four rhythm for what feels like the first time all album, and I'm like, oh okay, I can nod along to this bit. Um, I um I I think I think that the, the elements of like that there's a, there's a note in the PR where it says that the the, the songwriting appears to be more rigid and let and yet more exploratory. I agree that it's exploratory. I don't think it's rigid at all. I think the the idea that you call the songwriting here rigid, I, th- I think is crazy. When you listen to this is the end of 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 between the fire between the fire and stone, it, it settles to that slow down and and and, and breakdown. That's where I started to talk about the bits we talked earlier where this appears to be like a trope. And I agree with Shackles like talents felt a bit superficial. Um but it almost emphasizes Dream Killer because when Dream Killer comes out, it's 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 almost like so clearly um the most polished song in terms of the writing. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like I don't know, it's hard to explain, but like that he writes that little lead riff at the end, and it's almost like I can hear how buzzing the band are. Like because they they sort of go back to it and they revert yeah. back to it and they sort of uh bring this as like this like like repeated motif of that um of that lead riff. And then the nicest man in metal, Matt Heafy, uh comes, oh, on, Matt, comes on comes on comes on the witch uh, could the witch beckons because is there ever been a new metal band that Matt Heafy hasn't personally endorsed or done something with? Like it, it, it feels amazing. like he's just he's just everywhere, isn't he? He's amazing. He's amazing. Um but it's 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 a great riff from what I think is the pre-chorus, but like it's hard to track this in like traditional senses. Like if you imagine like tracking this out on like a whiteboard and you put like grids and stuff, it'd be like riff 17 pre-chorus B or something like it's impossible to track it in a normal section. But what felt like the pre-chorus to me with the riff on that was really, really great. Um, and I think, and I think it showed as well that they're capable of writing songs with a different inflection because when Heafy comes in and it's got that eerie atmospheric section that showed a little bit of depth to the band that I was happy to see. Um, I've talked about Echelon before, but the last two tracks, Faces Without Names, or I think Faces Without Names is ridiculous. Uh, like this stab opening with a fast-paced lead. That's It's a listenable riff as well, which is like really good. Like it's catchy. The stabbing rhythm in between. It's just a phenomenal song. Sorry, I interrupted you there. No, sorry. Like I was just going to like add to what you were saying. I, earlier I mentioned there's two moments on this album that I think could break that kind of social media chain where people are like, oh, you have to see this. One of them is the is the uh, kick drum on Amongst Low and Empty, which is obviously already had a single. The other one is the middle eight of this song. Like, I don't even know what's happening in the middle eight of this song. It's hard to effectively summarise the heaviness and the technicality of what takes place in that middle eight of Faces Without Names. It's absurd. I completely agree with you, mate. I completely agree. And then they go for like a slow, methodical black metal song to finish, I think, with Malady. Like traditional death metal opening, but so thumping and nasty. And then that final conclusion appears to be their last attempt at these classic deathcore sort of breakdowns and stuff as they return back to type a little bit. But from like a if you if you want if you want a heavy, nasty, chaotic album to stick on and you're really into your extreme metal, you really can't go wrong here. Um, you really can't go wrong at all here because this is this is really excellent within the confines of its genre. And you can kind of hear how the, the music is tiptoeing forward in terms of the stamina, in terms of the musicianship and the dexterity of the musicians involved. And that that's that's as, that's as fair as I can say to it. In ter- if like, if Deathcore was the only genre to exist in metal, this would be like the second best album of the year by the end of the year. It's, 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 it's easily one of the best Deathcore releases so far. It's going to be a yeah. top five extreme metal release by the end of the year. And if that's your bag, you're going to love this album. Um, The only criticism, which is not really a fair criticism, is like, if you're not really into Deathcore, you're going to wonder what else there is. But if you're not really into Deathcore, you're probably not stumbling across this anyway. You know, it's it's like, it's like what's saying about the final film, but well, I'm not really into tennis. Well, that's fine. You can just watch something else. Like that's for for tennis fans. It's really good. And that's just how it is. 
And it, it, this is exactly the same as that. So I, I have to temper any criticism because it's my so my job here to sort of give an honest opinion. My only criticism, weirdly, is that outside of its genre, I wished it did more. But even that's not really a criticism because within what it's supposed to do, it does it as well as almost any other band barring Lorna Shaw that, have, that we've really got in the genre and the industry and the game right now. So as far as that goes, like, it's a terrific album. We're going to leave it there for this episode of the Noise Podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We really, really appreciate you uh, coming back with us. So me and Sam are going to try and hit at the very, very least every fortnight. Now, we used to just do every album. Uh, that we wanted to talk about, we do an episode for, uh, but that then left us left us with like extensive dry spells uh, in uh, of recording shows, and we don't really want to do that. So we're going to go back to like the fortnightly release and try and stick to that. Uh, although we are going to have another episode coming out in the next ten days uh, because next week. Uh, well, in two weeks, we've got the releases of new the new Earn album and the new Teenage Wrist album. So me and Sam are going to be here to uh, record an episode uh, discussing those albums as well. Uh, so, yes, yeah, stick around. Uh, please subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, follow us, slash like, slash subscribe, depending on whichever service you use. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we will be there. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Noise Podcast, if you want to keep up with our uh, daily ridiculous uh, uh, incessant posting. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, the new Signs of Swarm album is a, is a superb deathcore record that I really, really like. It's 100% going to go into my best of 2023 uh, Spotify playlist as soon as it's out. Uh, great record. Uh, and we will be back in around about 10 days discussing Teenage Wrist and discussing Earn. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we love you and we'll see you soon. Bye. 